Looking for a new job? Or recruiting new talent? Kickstart your search on RecruitIreland.com, where people make better connections. Job seekers, find your perfect match with in-depth company profiles and handy career advice. Recruiters, advertise your jobs and showcase your company across Ireland's trusted media network. RecruitIreland.com. Jump on to take off. Growing Pains, IE Parenting Podcast, in association with Safe Food, helping you make better food choices. Hi, I'm Irene Feehan and welcome to Growing Pains, the Irish Examiner's Parenting Podcast Series in association with Safe Food. With me today is child psychotherapist Dr. Coleman Nocter, who writes a column for our IE Parenting section, published every Tuesday and online. Coleman is also the author of the best-selling book, The 427 Zone. It was published earlier this year. For the next 20 minutes, we'll be talking about knowing when to step in or step back as a parent. So thank you for joining us in our studio today, Coleman. Thanks for having me. So in the past, parents tended to be more hands-off. Now it's more hands-on. Are we doing too much for our children, do you think? I think we probably are, but I think it's easy to be critical of parents. Uh, the world is a very different place than it was 20, 30 years ago. And so the the role of parenting is much more involved. So there's an expectation that we would be involved in our children's social lives, in their academic performance, in their sporting lives. And by nature of the fact that we're more involved there is more work to be done. Um, I think the world we live in, from a physical safety point of view, the roads are busier, there's much more complexities, perhaps some of the, the freedoms that we were afforded growing up are no longer there. It's just a different world that we inhabit. Um, but so from the point of view of parents, I think are having to become involved to a level that they wouldn't have done before. Uh, the question is, are we doing it right? Uh, and are we, you know, becoming over-involved. And that's maybe something that I think many of us, myself included, uh, have struggled with to try and step back. Um, oftentimes, it's just easier. And it might, again, be down to time pressure to tie your child's shoelace than watch them struggle two or three times to get the loop correct or, you know, to just, um, you know, uh, run them into town and bring them back rather than, you know, have the anxiety of will they be okay on the bus so the idea of I think time pressure I think the busyness of our lives and the different world that we inhabit has meant that yes I think children are probably less capable of the practical life skills that perhaps they do we were 20 years ago um, but again I'd be sh- sh- short to criticize or slow to criticize on that because I think there's other variables that we need to take into account. So what are those variables any talking about the times we're living in, for example? Yeah, I think the idea of, you know, is it easier or harder to be a child now than it was? And sometimes we can have rose coloured glasses around mm. when we think about our own childhood. There was you know, lots of things that were going on between scandals of you know clerical abuse. There was the troubles. There was lots of things, you know, growing up in you know 20 30 years ago that weren't they weren't here now but it is definitely much more complex the landscape is completely different and again we can point to social media as being a major factor in that but also i think there is an era of expectation on children that is different than they 
we would have experienced before. So the idea, I always use the example of, you know, pressure to get points in the leaving cert. We see this leaving cert cycle becoming more and more hyped year on year. We see more pressure for people to go to university. We see more kind of pressure on young people to engage in sports competitively much earlier. Um, And this is, uh, again, a lot of the issues that we see with children and young people is um, they're adult problems, not children's problems. You know, we don't have issues of referees going on strike because the children are giving them abuse. It's the sidelines. You know, we don't have issues of, you know, children, you know, subscribing to academic pressure. But oftentimes they have parents who are placing that pressure on them. And so I think as as adults, we need to kind of look and see how are we contributing to this era of expectation and pressure? And are we adding a complexity to growing up that maybe we could do something about. Do you think adults are over-involved in their children's lives? I do. I think in many ways, uh, and again, you know, the idea of uh, using sport, academia, or whatever the case may be, I don't believe that parents need to be as involved in that. Even homework, take an example of Mm. that. You know, I I definitely don't remember my mum ever checking my homework growing up. And I got on okay, (laughs) I say that. But, uh, you know, the idea that we would go through things and make sure that everything's correct and, you know, make sure that uh, even a school project that we oversee that. And and again, we because we see children as an extension of ourselves, we almost don't want them to let the side down, you know. And, and again, what is in a in a learning opportunity like doing a project? What are they learning from that? They're learning that this has to be of the highest standard and it has to be exceptional and it has to be special and it has to be good. Um, and automatically that creates more pressure, you know. So the issue of parental competition and, you know, it, we're not immune to that. Again, you see one child who's excelling in something and you think my child isn't as good as that. And, you know, I might look at my friend's child winning a black belt in Taekwondo at age eight and my eight-year-old is still using Velcro shoes. You know, I'll think that's a bad reflection on me mm. and I'll feel pressured to do that. So the idea of that hyper-comparative culture mm. has meant that we all feel we have to up our game. And when we're upping our game as a default or as a, a side effect of that, we all get over-involved and we don't allow children to problem-solve, make mistakes, because we don't want we want it to be as perfect as it can. And, and that's, for me, that is a problem, mm. for sure. Uh, what kind of conversation can a parent have with themselves if they're finding they're in that competitive state, stepping in to help with the homework, wanting the child to up their game, whether it's in sports or uh, academically? Yeah, I think we have phrases to describe these kind of actions like helicopter parenting mm. and snowplow parenting, which were kind of new, you know, clearing away any adversity. The issue is that children learn from mistakes and they probably learn a lot more from mistakes than they do from success. Um, and the idea of getting our heads around the fact that there is a benefit to a struggle is really hard for us to get our heads around. A child learning to tolerate frustration must experience frustration. A child who learns to bounce back from disappointment has to experience disappointment. Now, obviously in a measured way that isn't overwhelming, but from the point of view of our experiences of these things expose us to them. And so the more exposure we have to them, 
the more familiar we become with that. Uh, and, you know, there's a, a limit to our parenting influence. And as parents, as our children become teenagers, we realize that that level of control and influence is becoming less and less. And therefore, the likelihood of our children making mistakes or doing things unsupervised is much more likely. And I think that kind of is oftentimes where things come to a cropper, where maybe we have overdone to a point. Now we can't get involved uh, and, and we see our child struggling because they've had a lack of exposure to that. Something as simple as boredom. You know, we have to learn to wait, but you don't learn to wait unless you've had to wait for something. And so we have to see a benefit in the struggle. And so how does a parent then introduce that in, in, in the day to day parenting then? Well, I love the term surmountable stress. I think this okay. is really important mm. because surmountable stress is something that pushes me, but doesn't overwhelm me. And mm. that idea of having your child experience not constant surmountable stress, but pushing them to the limit. So, again, if you have an issue with um, an injury and you go to physio, you know, they'll, they'll push you to the point where it's uncomfortable. And that's through by doing that, you improve your range of movement and you kind of get through that. So the idea of, you know, children need to be pushed to the point of discomfort, you know, or mm -hmm. uncomfortable and, or unfamiliar. And that's how they will build. You know, you build through these experiences of surmountable stress. Sometimes I think because we're busy, we just, don't have the time to engage in that process or because of our own anxiety we don't want them to experience any sense of adversity so we try and bypass that but in doing so we don't allow them to develop the skills of frustration tolerance disappointment um, and even things like organization leaving a child to manage to pack their own PE bag you know not rushing into you know, bring in a drinks bottle that they left at home from school these issues are we have to allow for the laboratory of life to teach our children some of the things. And again, that learning from making a mistake can sometimes be far more important than the successes that we have. And, and, and again, children will oftentimes recognize that for themselves. Um, and it's, um, it's the hardest part is watching someone fail. You talk about the struggle. importance then of a parent, the way a parent talks to a child is also how the child will talk to him or herself. So developing that dialogue is really important then that you use the words, the languages, accepting, kind, patient. So I, I think you, you, an important way is the way you speak to your child is the way that they will internalize and speak to themselves. Mm. So and again, if you the way you speak to yourself will be something that children will pick up on. So if you're hypercritical or if you're hyper pressured or if you're hyper anxious, your child is going to take that up as the, that's the template for how I need to think about things. And it isn't about, um, you know, this is your best or you're excellent at this or you're good at this. It's about, you know, give it a good try. You tried. I really recognize your effort. Mm. And this idea of effort over outcome is hugely important as parents. If we're able to recognize a child's effort and separate that from outcome, um, children will learn to value the effort, not the outcome. Do you know what I mean? So for one child to do a spelling test on a Friday and this child has no learning issues, they'll look over it for 10 seconds and they'll get 10 out of 10. Child, maybe a learning issue like dyslexia or something, might spend 45 minutes prepping and get 7 out of 10. We need to recognise the child's effort for what it took to get the 7 out of 10 as opposed to just 10 out of 10. And again, where the world will only see 10 and 7, as a parent, we need to see effort, not just outcome and reward and, and get, remind them of that value system. And for the child to say, I'm really happy with the effort I put in, not just to say, and I got a good result, therefore I'm actually a great kid, but to say I got a result that merits 
the effort I put in. Yeah, and even all the great sports coaches and teams will say, you look after the process and the result looks okay. after itself. Do you know what mm. I mean? And there is that sense of us valuing the process. You know, and obviously when a child comes home from a sport, we ask two questions. Did you win? Did you score? And we ask yeah. that every single time. Yeah. Rather than, did you do your best? Did you have fun? Did you enjoy it? And again, just those little shifts. That, but we have to be so mindful that we create the agenda for our children in terms of values, what's imp more important than the other. And sometimes it's just about taking a step back and, and be mindful of what we're saying. And let's come back to the teenage years for a moment and that the complexity and confusion that can often come during that time. Like you see them wanting their freedom and then they'll say, and can you give me a lift into town? Wanting their freedom and say, by the way, can I have 10 euros because I'm going out to the pictures tonight? So how can we help our children navigate that tricky time? Yeah, the, kind of the, the, the rebel without a fund. <laughs> There's a kind of a sense <laughs> of that. But yeah. um, I mean, part of teenage years is challenging boundaries. So it is about individuating. It is about being different. It is about announcing my own identity. And I need the space and the room to do that. Um, and oftentimes it, it will be <clears throat> against the identity that other people are imposing on me. So I'm not a child anymore. You know, so there might be that kind of uh, desire to show you how independent I am or so how able. But in reality, I may still be quite dependent upon you. So it's it's a kind of a, it, the complexity of wanting to be able to have the autonomy, but needing the support while I engage in that autonomous process is really, really complex for because there's a lot of tail between your legs as a teenager. You know, you have these big announcements and then you have to go and kind of apologize or or, you know, oftentimes say you were right. Mm. I got that wrong. And um, but from the point of view of I have a great em empathy and sympathy for teenagers because I I deal with them all the time. And, yes. you know, the complexity of trying to negotiate not only the biological hormonal surges, which are you know, disconcerting to the best of times, but also trying to navigate the world of cool and how do I be popular and how do I engage in academia and how do I not let people down and how do I navigate the politics of this group? And, you know, they're incredibly scrutinized age group. You know, it's never at any time in your life will you be streamed into A's, B's and C's mm. and put under more scrutiny and you'll never be at a point in time in your life where you feel more vulnerable. And that's a really, really difficult um kind of to marry those two variables at once. So I would have a great deal of empathy for them. Of course, they get it wrong. And of course, they might get hostile and irritable and aggressive. And uh, and uh, while we you don't allow that, uh, you maybe have to have some understanding of why it's happening. And cut them some slack. Yeah, and I think that's important. You know, one of the things we need to do is to kind of understand. And I think we oftentimes forget what it was like to be a teenager because mm. it was so difficult we tend to repress mm -hmm. it a little bit yeah. um you know seeing the world through the eyes of your child will always give you a better vantage point as a parent uh, to try and see what is their struggle and to keep in mind it's a difficult time to be a teenager as well there's so much going on in the world which is putting them under a lot of stress absolutely and we can't discount the last number of years which have had you know real kind of once in a lifetime events happening in quite quick succession and again we take the the global pandemic we take the uh global conflict and the kind of culmination of the climate crisis that you know that a lot of that burden tends to come on young people's shoulders they've had to shoulder a lot of that responsibility and it has had an impact on them but and my fear for young people and again it probably 
ties into maybe the apathy or lack of motivation that some might experience is that I think they're braced for the next disaster. If you think about the last number of years as a percentage of my life as someone in my mid 40s is quite small, but as someone who's who maybe the pandemic started when I was 12 and now I'm 16, that's almost a quarter of my life that's been spent in that. And again, it is about having the ability to see it through the lens of the young person and the child and what what they've experienced over the last number of years is very different to the way in which even though we lived through it together because of where they are in their lives, it had a much bigger impact. So what advice would you have for parents who want to support their kids, not nag them, but encourage them? And it can be hard to actually just to stay on the, the line that says I'm encouraging them. I think first thing is you have to accept that parenting a teenager is incredibly difficult. It's an incredibly frustrating issue by their nature. They mm. are irrational. They overreact. They're unreasonable at times. And, you know, when we try and impose adult expectations on teenagers, they will disappoint us because, well, for the very basic reason, they're not adults. Um, mm. And so the idea around, you know, and all the years I'm doing this, I'm working in this area for over 25 years. Mm. I've never had one experience where nagging worked. You know, I've never had an experience of a parent who told me that they were giving out to their child and all of a sudden the child turned around and had an epiphany and said, you know what, ma'am, you're right, you know. It has never happened. So if it has never worked, why do we do it? We do it because it's all we have in terms of our armory mm. <laughs> to try and combat the irrationality and, and the unreasonableness. But what I would say to you is, and this is a research practice up, you know, encouragement is far better at kind of steering behavior than nagging. So from the point of view of you are far more likely to get your child to do something that you want by incentivizing them rather than uh, by kind of nagging them or harassing them to do it. So the idea around, and again, it comes back to maybe that battle of autonomy. I'm not going to do what you said. And they almost corner themselves into a protest position where tidying your room becomes, you know, the big issue. Um, what I would say to parents is don't see it as win and lose. You know, so if I give in on this and allow them away with this thing, we can sometimes get into this narrative of, they've beaten me or I've given up or this it's weak parenting to compromise. What you're trying to do with an unreasonable teenager is teach them how to compromise, mm. how to meet that middle ground, how to negotiate. And that means as the adult in the room, oftentimes you have to be the one to offer the olive branch of, you know, peacemaking or negotiation or compromise. And oftentimes when we get so stuck in our battle or so the horns get so locked that we almost can't see that and we can't step away from it and I would say you know the teenagers bring out the teenager in us you know so we as parents become teenage in response yeah and the more kind of irrational you become the more irrational I've become we, we've all had I'm gonna take your xbox for two years and these kind of unreasonable <laughs> requests that we would come out with and um, the important thing is to try and maintain your composure as, as difficult as that might be. Um, stay the adult. Stay the adult and not see compromise as weakness. See mm. it as kind of role modeling a strength. Um, and, you know, there's a very important thing. Sometimes we need to give teenagers what they need instead of what they deserve. Um, and while that might feel like we're giving in, uh, it may yield better results in terms of them learning from that behavior. So give me an example of how that might play out then. Uh, say, for example, if a young person comes downstairs and they're really upset and they uh, go to make some cornflakes and they see their younger sibling eating a bowl of cornflakes and, and the, all the cornflakes are gone. And so they get really annoyed and they slam the 
door or they break a bowl and say, I hate this family and run upstairs, right? So what they might deserve in that moment is you've broken a bowl and you've been rude to your family, so you deserve to be grounded. What they need in that moment is someone to go up and say, what's going on? Because this is not about the cornflakes. You know, and in teenage, behaviour is a signpost to a problem. It is not the problem. Mm -hmm. So if we get stuck on, you know, the answer in that situation is not saying to your partner, somebody run down and get some more cornflakes. That's not going to solve the problem because the cornflakes isn't the problem. You know, it is a symptom of the issue. And in that moment, rather than giving them what they deserve, which might be grounding them or whatever, you give them what they need is an opportunity to talk through what is causing that level of upset. Um, and again, that might seem like giving in, for t but for me, that's the best way you can come away from that circumstance with a degree of a win. So what would your top tip for parents be? I think for parents, it's not to get discouraged by teenage argument. Teenagers are supposed to argue. That's how they're finding their voice. Um, and they'll always do it with someone who they know has to love them. And so the idea of the fact that they're arguing with you as their parent means that they're kind of rehearsing that for the outside world. And they're doing it because they know you won't give up on them and they because they love you and you love them. So from the point of view of if you're having these repeated arguments, don't get disheartened by that. There's a process at work uh, and they need to do it in order to, to find their voice that they'll be able to use out there in the real world. Coleman Nocter, child psychotherapist and author, thank you for joining us on our podcast series, Growing Paints. Growing Pains, i.e. Parenting Podcast, in association with Safe Food, helping you make better food choices.